Hello and welcome to the Training for Influence podcast, brought to you by me, Tammy Banks, Director of Tay Training and founder of the Training for Influence method. But it's not just me who you'll be hearing from. I'll be joined by a selection of our expert facilitators, as well as sector colleagues and fellow organisations, all in an effort to provide important learnings for key workers, people on the front line who are new, potentially inexperienced, volunteering, possibly agency workers, or perhaps returning to work, previously retired professionals. This podcast is not a replacement for training. It aims to highlight important topics to act as an introductory resource for those delivering services under these unprecedented circumstances. We asked our facilitators to select five top takeaways from a course they deliver. Takeaways the delegates have fed back that are really key or they as a facilitator think are fundamental to the session. In this episode, we'll be speaking to Tay Training Facilitator Sally about safeguarding awareness. We'll be briefly covering terminology, types of abuse, recognising indicators, myth-busting and reporting concerns. It's my great pleasure to welcome Sally O'Donnell. Hi Tammy. Hi, thank you so much for joining us today and giving up your time to share your top five learning points from the awareness course. It'd be great if we could just start by telling our listeners a little bit about you. Do you mind introducing yourself? I currently work for the NSPCC where I am an area coordinator of the school service where we look to go into every single primary school to talk to children about how they can keep themselves safe from abuse and we promote speaking to trusted adults and also as the childline service which is really really helpful in the times that we're suffering with at the moment because children need that additional support and reassurance. And then my work within sport, I do work for some county football associations and also a professional football club where I look at all the different aspects of safeguarding within sporting kind of arenas and particularly within football to make sure children as safe as they can be within a sporting context. That's great. Well, we're very pleased to have you as a TAFE facilitator. We have operational experts that have connected knowledge of the customer group delivering our sessions particularly so that they can answer those key questions for the people in the room. So we really appreciate and recognise your experience. Cheers. So we're going to talk about safeguarding awareness then. So this is the first course within our fleet of safeguarding courses. This course is suitable for everybody and we would recommend that everybody and anybody attend it. So let's have a look at what this course is covering. Yeah, the Safeguarding Awareness is a really nice introductory course just to give those that either haven't had any contact with safeguarding, you know, any kind of safeguarding knowledge previously or as a bit of a reminder if they've been out of the loop or indeed if it's in a different context because they may well have done some safeguarding with children and now they're in a safeguarding adults role. The course does cover both adults and children, but depending on the organisations that you're delivering it to on behalf of Tay depends on the specific focus of the information. So you'll weight it more heavily towards one customer group or another customer group or one sector or different types of responses and things, won't you? Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes it might be having a a mixture in the room. So it's about making sure that whatever forum you're coming from and whatever on the ground and frontline issues you're dealing with, you can take something really meaningful away from it. So talk to us about your key learning points then. How did you choose them and what are they? I looked at the content of the course and thought, right, well, what, what is it, the main things we absolutely want learners to take away from this session? 
if they learn nothing else, what five things do we want them to go away and have a think about and, and maybe dig a little bit deeper into or really be able to relate them to their role? So the first one that would be useful to have a think about is terminology, because if you've never dealt with safeguarding before, and there's lots of different things that are banded around and different words that are used, and in any sector is like acronyms and things like that. So it's just about that familiarity and making sure somebody has a really good basic understanding of what the terms mean and, and how they look different from each other in some cases. Uh, yeah, absolutely. A really great first key point for this course. So, so tell us, what are the terms that people get most confused by and what do they mean? I think that that terminology between safeguarding and child protection is probably the, not the most difficult to differentiate, but one that's, that seems to be interchangeable sometimes and people can't really get a grip of it so easily. But it's really important because there is a nuanced difference between it. Child protection was what we probably talked about, you know, five, ten years ago, and we've moved forward from that safeguarding is very much the preventative side of it and looking at how we, we protect people's health and well-being and making sure that we're doing everything to put their person at the forefront. So safeguarding is that preventative measures really, whereas child protection is that response to an actual incident, response to a, a child or a particular adult at risk. If they're at risk of significant harm or abuse, then that's the action that might be taken. So it's about making sure they can differentiate between those two terms, I think, is, is the priority, really. Yeah, I agree. And um, I think that exactly what you're saying there about people can get confused and interchange them. And actually, if you look into the terms and you have an understanding of safeguarding, then the recognition, it's a really important recognition Absolutely. And it's all, you know, it's like having a safeguarding policy. It's all of those things that underpin everything about you, your policies and procedures and all those things, organisationally speaking, that we want to be in place, that we recognise those are really helpful and useful things to have. But yeah, the child protection is an action. It's a response. If a particular thing has happened or if somebody's at particular risk, then what are we doing about it? What is our response to that? If I put you right on the spot then, Sally, and say... Mm. Give me a brief definition of safeguarding that is understandable. What are you going to come back with? Well, I'll use our official one, Tommy, because, ah, uh, you know, <laughs> of course. Well so it's about people's health, well-being and human rights. And that's what it comes down to. It's that human element of recognising that we want people to live free from harm, abuse, neglect. And we know that that's the kind of humanist response, in, in my view anyway. And it's making sure we have high quality health and social care. Brilliant. Love your choice number one. Thank you, Sally. No worries. So seamlessly then on to top learning point number two. Number two. Well, the types of abuse, Tammy, because without that, if we can't, not that when we're putting reports in and we're passing on our concerns to anybody else, we have to hang our hat on anything. It can be just be how we feel. But I think if we don't know the types of abuse, then we're going to struggle. We need to have some underpinning knowledge. So yeah. to know those different types of abuse and the ones that are specifically, if we're working with children, what are those? And those additional ones that through our legislation that come through for adults as well. So this is interesting because this is a little bit like how long is a piece of string mm -hmm. in the sense of, there, yes, there are absolutely a set number of categories of types of abuse. And if we have an understanding, just like you've said, then we'll be far better placed to recognise if somebody's, at risk of harm, abuse or neglect, or indeed if they're at risk of causing harm, abuse or neglect, if we have an understanding of what the categories are. But also this element of it takes up about three, maybe even four hours of the awareness training day. 
and then we follow up on it on alerter and responder and on every single refresher because each category of abuse is detailed within itself so within the podcast we just have to recognize here that although we're going to touch on the categories of abuse we'd really advocate if you have the time to go away and read it and learn a little bit more particularly about the categories that are pertinent to the customers you're working with at the moment because that will be different across customer groups which categories are more specific to the people that you're working with at the moment so with that warning Sally talk us through the categories of abuse the specific ones that have been identified for children we're looking at emotional abuse which is really interesting because it well it cuts across absolutely everything I think having an awareness of the impact of emotional abuse is so so important because you can't fail to be impacted emotionally if you're suffering from any of the other types of abuse so to me the emotional end of things is is really hard to quantify in, in itself but goes across every type of maltreatment of a human being because it's at our emotional core that we get affected. So for me, that's a really important one. Then we look at physical abuse, which speaks for itself. When I talk to the kids in school, we talk about being hurt on the outside. And I think that just says everything it needs to do for me because we talk about the emotional being anything that hurts on the inside. And I think as basic as that, without being patronising, it's just about thinking about, right, where is the hurt? Where is the damage? And then neglect being that emission rather than a lot of the other types of abuse we talk about are an action you know something being done onto somebody else neglect being that omission really of that basic level of care that human beings need i think it's so so important to recognize that can look different for different people but basically we need a roof over our head we need food we need warmth we need to be loved and we need to feel connected and without those basic needs and that's for adults and for children then that can be extremely difficult for people to thrive and for children to thrive And then we look at sexual abuse as well, which is unfortunately, we're becoming much more aware of it. It seems to be much more in our consciousness in recent years, which makes us think that it's more prevalent, whether it is or it isn't, it is one to be discussed really. But I think certainly extremely damaging any type of abuse really. But yes, so the ones for children, emotional abuse, physical abuse, neglect and sexual abuse. And then we go on to look and explore the adults at risk. And we look at themes about financial abuse. So it's about who's got access to somebody's money and are they doing that in an appropriate manner? Because sometimes it can be a fantastic help, isn't it, for somebody who's struggling with one thing or another. But if that's used to their detriment and they're being used and abused in that way for their finances, then that can be extremely impactful on lots of levels, not just to their financial detriment. Again, it's about that emotional impact because they might be really, really reliant on that person. But we talk about exploitation. We talk about organisational abuse because we hear some really shocking stories from different organisations that just don't have the things in place to safeguard and essentially look after and care for those that are in their care. And we see some shocking and we use one particular kind of case study of a care home, people with learning disabilities from a documentary that was made about it. And it's just quite shocking to see about some of the things that happen, sadly, to to those within an organisational setting. We talk about self-neglect, so it's not just about neglect happening to a person, it's about them doing it to themselves and exploring the reasons behind that because they, they can, you know, they can be varied. Modern slavery and the themes that go along with that, so people that are put into servitude of one sort or another, and again, there can be numerous different reasons for that. Discrimination is key. It's about recognising those groups that can be discriminated against and making sure we can eradicate that. And then one that I think deserves some exploration really is about domestic abuse, because as we know, that can be so, so impactful either for the person that's a victim, if you like, that person suffering with abuse 
but also anybody in the house that is witnessing that because we realise that even children and young people having sight of domestic abuse within their household can have wide-ranging implications for them and that can be a real issue. Absolutely. So you can understand as you've gone through those categories, our listeners here, you can understand why exploring these categories of abuse takes so much time on the training course. So we are very aware that Sally has just given you quite a fantastic but a whistle-stop tour of some of the categories of abuse. Please do have a think about or talk to your colleagues or your line manager about actually which ones are more prevalent and pertinent at the moment within whichever role you're undertaking and if you can do a little bit more digging and a little bit more learning about those categories because there is so much to uncover within each of them and so much to learn and understand. That being said Sally I'm taking a wild guess that I know what your number three learning point is because it follows directly on on the course from these categories of abuse and is really, really important. So um, tell me what your third is and let me see whether I was right. Well, number three is all about the indicators. How are we going to recognise? Yeah. How are we going to recognise these types of abuse and say, right, OK, that might that might be this and that might be that. But actually, how are we recognising that and what are we seeing? So we can ask in the sessions, we have some really good discussions about the similarities in some of the things. So actually, you might be seeing one type of behaviour, but it might actually relate to several different types of abuse. I think this is really key. We introduce the categories of abuse, but then it is about looking specifically at those indicators. So people at the moment, key workers, frontline workers, volunteers, you are the people who will absolutely see those indicators. And it's about being, it's about recognising them and then being brave enough to go and talk to somebody about those indicators or any concerns that you've got. So Sally, talk us through some of these indicators, how they might present and You just started talking there about the interconnectivity of some of the indicators as well. Yeah, I think when we look at indicators, for me, I talk about red flags. And I think it's really important to have a think about just what are those things that just don't sit right with you? It's as much about a feeling as about, you know, about processing how we feel about something. And sometimes that just warrants a bit of a discussion and actually it might be nothing. But if something just doesn't sit right with us, then we have to question it and we have to approach it in some way and then deal with that. And that's a conversation to be had. But yeah, the indicators can be very similar. I always talk about change. Change is really key. And that can be really difficult if you don't know a person really well and you don't have that ongoing relationship with a person. But if you do notice, even if you're just visiting somebody two or three times, you might just see some different behaviours that you might go, oh, that seems different because they came across a little bit differently last time I saw them. So change is really key for me. The other things, it might be a lot of the times people feel guilty about the abuse they're suffering even if they don't they don't know they're being abused in a lot of senses whether it's children or adults and it's about that loss of confidence that loss of self-esteem that blaming themselves thinking is this my fault so they'll exhibit behaviors to do with that as well so they'll push that concern inside so that brings out anxieties self-harm they might be using ways to manage that so that might be through drugs and alcohol it might affect their persona in lots of different ways And again, that can cut across a lot of the different types of abuse. It's really hard to go, right, well, that's a distinct, you know, issue with one type of abuse. Your your example with your physical abuse is different things like obviously bruising and physical signs that are going to give you some clear indicators. But even then, people will go to long lengths to some extent. They might be completely covered up and that might be their way of coping with it and trying not to display those indicators. 
just generally thinking about that change of behaviours, is there anything that we're seeing that, that causes us concern? Because that's what it comes down to at the bottom line. Absolutely. And I think one of the things that is really key when you're talking there that just kind of come to mind for me was some people won't recognise that they are suffering abuse. And it is about you being able to recognise for them in some cases. And where you'd said, if it doesn't feel right, then actually explore it further, talk to somebody about it. I think the other thing there is that there may be people as well that do recognise that they are being abused and will disclose that abuse to you. And that is the clearest indicator that there is a problem. Now, there's lots of discussions that I had about do people make false allegations? And the evidence suggests that actually, even if a false allegation is made, there is a level of truth within that allegation. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's the person that they are accusing or that there's any rationale to it. But for somebody to make a disclosure of abuse, then they can't be feeling happy, safe, confident and comfortable because people who feel like that don't make allegations of abuse. So 99% of the time, allegations of abuse are true. And Mm -hmm. for the few times that they're not, there usually is something else going on for that person within their lives. So key, Tammy. In all of the work that I do, we explore, and certainly, interestingly, when we, we speak to children, I go into schools and talk to them, and they say, what, what about if somebody made a, a call to Childline and it wasn't true? And I explain to them that we call them test calls. And I think if we approach it in that, that they're testing the system, and that goes for if somebody is directly disclosing some type of abuse, then I absolutely agree with what you're saying. They're testing the system to go, what will happen? What will this person do? So they may only give you a sliver of information about what's going on for them to see what you're going to do about it. Are you that person that's going to do something? If you are, then you might get the rest of it. But if you don't take the right action and if you're not the person to do anything about it or if you don't address it in any way, then the likelihood is they're not going to come through and and be able to give you the rest of it. So it's very much about them testing the system in my experience and certainly what I look at both in the context of all the work I do within safeguarding. Yeah, is that at the very minimum, a disclosure is an indicator of something. Um, Absolutely. So yeah, very, very important to remember that. And I, I like to bring that one up really because it is a misconception of people that lots of allegations of abuse are false. And actually the statistics don't stack that up at all. In general, most of the allegations that are made will have truth in there. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Brilliant. So what number are we on now then? So my number four is doing that little bit of myth busting and a bit along the lines of what we were just talking about, about the lesser known, the lesser talked about things. And a really interesting exercise that we do is about men as victims. And we base it and watch a bit of footage from a documentary, which is so, so interesting about an individual that suffered at the hands of his girlfriend. And it was horrific, the type of abuse that this chap suffered. And it's a chap called Alex Skeel. If you do get a chance to go and have a look at it, go and explore it because it will bust any myths you think about men as victims and the fact that anybody sadly anybody can be a victim of any type of abuse and we have these stereotypes in our heads maybe but absolutely men can be equally at risk of abuse of any type of abuse really so it's useful just to go and have a look at that type of stuff we talk about other things like uh, terms that have kind of come in in the last few years, which are really interesting. We talk touch on what we call county lines. So it's about that use of um, mainly, sadly, young people uh, being moved from one place to another, potentially um, to commit criminal offences, basically. 
Cookaween, which I like to talk about because it takes me back to my kind of housing background about the the abuse on on those within a housing context really and and people occupying other people's um houses for usually nefarious means of one sort or another whether it's to stash things in that in that property whether it's to sell um drugs from that property potentially but it's about that again that that misuse of trust really that's been placed in the person that, that occupies that property um looking at female genital mutilation uh, and having some discussions about what that involves and the kind of cultural elements to that because i think sometimes when we're dealing with any different um, issues, we can look at, right, well, do we feel that that's a cultural issue or is that a legal issue or should they be allowed to do this, that or the other? And it's about actually, it's, a, it's abuse. And if it's happening and we know somebody, you know, it could be termed as physical abuse. So it's not okay and we need to do something about it. Um, and recognizing the interconnectivity of the different types of abuse as well. So recognizing that rarely these things happen in isolation. Um, so it's to get a really good awareness that one thing leads to another potentially in types of abuse, but they can just be interconnected and people can be really, you know, sort of trying to think of the right word, um, but it, they're debilitating uh, and it's really difficult for people to speak out sometimes and, and how much they're relying on us to notice really issues that are going on um, because sometimes people aren't in a position to disclose of their own accord. Absolutely yeah really really key and I think as you're as you're talking through all of those kind of different terms and the interconnectivity and things like that I guess one of the things I want to say to our listeners is um, we, we're really aware that this is a lot of information for you to take in and you don't need to be, after listening to this, it's not, there's no memory test. It is about introducing you to different concepts and different terminologies and raising your awareness of them. So Sally, you're talking there kind of really, um, really fluently about the different types of abuse and examples from and used FGM as an example and you talked about um, cuckoo in and county lines and things like that people can find more information about that on our website um, at taytraining.org.uk and we'll put some links within the show notes as well the NSPCC has some fantastic things so please do please do go and find out more information about these because we're aware that we're just it's a bit of a drop in the ocean at the moment but if if on this podcast you've learned a term or you're going to going away to find out some more about something that's exactly what we're aiming to do yeah absolutely just to give a bit of intro and a starting point and if you think oh that might be something i'm interested in or something that i might see or you know connect with then yeah just go do a bit more research go do a bit of digging and or ask people you know there's likely be people within the organizations you're volunteering with or working with that will be able to you know have some really interesting discussions with you about right well yeah this, this is what we've seen or what we've experienced and i think that that's the really useful conversation whether it's in training or within you know within your working context that can give you some really valuable experience absolutely 
brilliant. So last but not least then, number five. So number five is arguably the most important one of all in terms of our roles and responsibilities and what do we do with this information. If we've had somebody disclose something to us, if we've seen some of those indicators, those red flags are going off and we just something doesn't sit right with us, what are we going to do with that information? And the bottom line is we have to do something no action is not an option so we need to do something and what you need to be doing is discussing that concern with somebody now whether that's your volunteer manager whether that's your line manager whoever the person that is your kind of nominated person that you're connected with as a volunteer or within your organization if you're an employee then go and have that discussion with them to say needs to be factually information that, that you're putting across so what is it that you saw what is it that caused you concern and what, in what context did you see it and have that discussions with them so then it can be recorded appropriately and it can be acted on but anything that doesn't sit right with you whatsoever then please pass that information on it's not your duty to investigate it. It's not your duty or anybody's duty to put their spin on it. How do I think this has come about? Or what? It's not about that speculation. It's about facts and passing it on. Absolutely. That's so, so important. And I'm so glad that you finished with that because I think within the context of this podcast, it's also really important to say that you don't have to be able to identify it either. You're not expected to be an expert safeguarder. You're not expected to be the designated safeguarding officer. If you can't identify it through the quick whistle-stop tour we've given you of categories of abuse or further learning that you've done, that's still okay. If it doesn't sit right with you, if it doesn't feel comfortable, if there's some indicators and you're just not sure, go and have a conversation with somebody. Conversations never, ever killed anybody. Sharing information and having a discussion with somebody and asking their opinion and their perspective is exactly what we should be able to do. We have to bear in mind that we all have different experiences, different frames of references, something that I notice and doesn't look right to me today. You might not notice tomorrow, Sally, because we're very different people who feel and think and have experienced different things. But for our listeners, I really want to get across that you don't have to be experts in this. Within these complex times, you are going to be the people that are out there having contact with a vast number of vulnerable people, marginalised people, people with complex needs. If something doesn't feel right, something doesn't look right, talk to somebody about it. Talk to one of your colleagues, talk to your line manager. Just as Sally said, don't feel like you need to have all of the answers because you really don't. And I can tell you, I've worked in safeguarding for over 20 years. And I'm sure Sally will say the same in a moment. And I absolutely do not have all of the answers, not by any stretch of the imagination. I'm still constantly asking my colleagues, my friends, my peers, what's your opinion on this? What do you make of this situation? We have different frames of references. We need to recognise that and be kind to ourselves and say we don't have to have the answers to everything. But we do need to recognise the importance of having that conversation and raising that possible concern. Absolutely. And I think it's so important to remember we're all human beings and human beings react differently to all kinds of different situations. So two heads are always going to be better than one. I'm always having conversations with my colleagues and other people within working contexts that sit in different areas of responsibility because what I might see as a concern actually they might recognise is that's pretty standard behaviour. So what we need to understand is that we're never going to all have the answers. But just for me, 
if something doesn't feel right, if something doesn't look right, it's all about having that conversation and passing that information on. And then we've performed our duty. And also nobody would want anybody to go home, whether it's in a volunteering capacity or an or employed capacity, carrying that kind of worry and level of concern around with you. You always need to pass that on and make sure as much as you're looking after those other people that is your client group, you're also looking after yourself. Nobody would have an expectation that you're carrying that level of risk and that level of concern around and holding onto it yourself. So on both levels, it's so important that you offload, you tell somebody, you give that factual information over and let people manage that and deal with that fantastic sally i have absolutely loved this conversation i could talk to you all night but i promised that we'd keep these podcasts under 30 minutes <laughs> um, so i really appreciate your time and i'm sure our listeners really appreciate your time and you've brought some fantastic learning points for us today is there anything you would like to say to the listeners before you sign off I think just hopefully they found it useful. Hopefully they find it interesting. And even if there's just one thing you can have a think about after listening to the podcast and go, I'm going to have a think about that. That's really relevant to my role and what I'm doing. Then that's useful to me. And I think that's a fantastic thing just to get you thinking about who can you speak to within your organisation? Who is that go-to person for you? That arguably is going to be really key. So yeah, I think that would be it. Brilliant. Thanks so much for listening today. We hope it's been time well spent. I'd like to finish by saying a huge thank you. Whether you're working or volunteering on the front line with vulnerable and or complex people, a manager supporting a team, or part of the cogs that keep the wheels of a frontline organisation turning, truly, thank you. It's only together that we can help people stay safe and prevent harm and abuse. Please don't forget about yourself though. No one, no matter how amazing, can pour from an empty cup. There is a reason emotional resilience features in all our courses, irrelevant of the subject. It's because it matters. You matter. Take care of yourself. If you'd like to know more about me, Tammy Banks, Tay Training, or the Training for Influence methodology, please have a read of the show notes. You can also find us on all social media platforms at Tay Training, or contact me directly via email, tammy at taytraining.org.uk. If you hadn't noticed already, I love to talk. Have a good day.